0: Just a little high up <laughs> Today's readings are Exodus 24:12 through 18, and Matthew 17:1 through9. They can be found on pages 75 and 906 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's Word. Exodus 24, 12 through 18. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. Then Moses sat, set out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her are here with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Matthew 17, one through nine. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The word of the Lord.
1: Let us pray. Our God of grace, as we listen to these words, and we enter into a time of considering what they mean for our lives, we do so from different, um, different journeys. We come into this space. Some of us um, may be feeling like we um, were a bit disappointed with what life has brought our way. Some of us come grateful because maybe we have even prayed for things and we have seen you respond. Others of us may feel like we have, uh, as we sit here, there was a faith that we once had that seemed so strong. And we wonder if it's slipping away. We wonder if we'll ever feel that way again. Others, some some come in here and and something traumatic um, or hurtful is is brought up, brought to mind either recent or long ago, or a grief or a sadness or a loss that's particularly on our mind this morning. Others of us come and maybe life is turning new corners and new opportunities stand before us and we're grateful. And from all these different places, we're somehow looking and listening For your voice and your presence this morning, we sit here, truthfully, we're all more of a mess than we care to admit. We might try to hide it, but our life uh, is frail, and we are fragile spiritually. And the story of your grace, the, the grace that we look towards this morning, moves towards frailty and brokenness and enters into it so that even though we're more of a mess and we care to admit, you're telling us today we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. We live simultaneously with the reality of our, our fragility and our restoration before your grace. So we look to that gift of grace now to make sense of our lives and our journeys through these words. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Looking at the story today, it is an odd story. Don't you agree? The stories we just read, especially the the one in Matthew of Jesus on this mountain, um, is kind of like a tide commercial or something where hes just his clothes get all bleached white. And Jake, uh, who's leading songs up here, I met with him this week, and he said, so I guess your job, you have a difficult job this week. You have to de-weird this story for us. (laughs) I think he's exactly right. I said, I'm going to use that. That is exactly my job. It's a story of a mountaintop experience, and Jesus includes Peter and James and his brother John. John. I don't know if you've had a mountaintop experience in your life. Do you have you had any of these kinds of experiences? Uh, in, intensely good kind of experience, um, memorable. It sticks with you. In 2014, uh, we were able to take a sabbatical, and we did a road trip as a family—my wife and our four kids—and so that kind of that summer has a little bit of that mountaintop vibe to it for me but also within that there was our visit to Bryce Canyon National Park and not just that but the the hike we decided to do so this family hike we did on a whim it was about an hour hour and a half hike that we did we just kind of picked picked one to do and we decided to do we went and we did this hike and it was filled with like the you know all the dramas and tensions and breakthroughs of kind of the trip at large and it so it had like the kids getting thirsty and us having this oh no moment, maybe those weren't the words we used, but oh no moment where, you know, what, did we have enough water with us? The kids are whining, there's parental tension, you know, did, did you pick, did daddy pick the right hike? And all these things are going on and then the, sort of the breakthrough is we round the bend and we're climbing up. These really cool rock formations, and our kids are springing. Suddenly, their attitudes have changed, and they're springing up like mountain goats up the hill to the finish. So, there's actually a slide, my favorite picture of the whole journey. I guess the lights are, the lights are taking some of the thunder out of this picture, but uh, you, it's our feet, you know, after this hike, and they're filled with this reddish clay dust from this hike that we did as a family. It's a great memory. Maybe you've found yourself at times um, um, really defining life by the mountaintop experiences. I don't know if you found yourself there. Where Maybe you're just telling someone about life and you're updating, you're giving a life update in person, or maybe you're giving like a a christmas letter that goes out to your family or something and it's it's basically the the mountaintop experiences or maybe you know this is your instagram or facebook life you know this brushed up experiences the the high high moments and this is the life you're showing and updating people with maybe you've been tempted to define life with mountain time mountaintop experiences Um, but jesus's transfiguration moment here on this mountain doesn't It's it's not an experience that lingers. No one in this story is able to really bask in the glow. And we're basically given a very clear message, implicitly, but it's very clear, that the real thing of this story is not being up on the mountain itself. In fact, the moment just kind of vanishes. You know, poof, and Jesus himself seems to bring a quick and abrupt end to this mountaintop experience, so what's going on here? I believe we can listen in on it and just really briefly listen to three ways in which this story gives us something for when we come down the mountain into real life three three you know really three direction changing these are going to be hard things if you apply them they're going to be counterintuitive three counterintuitive shifts as you come into the flatlands into the valleys of life the first is the recommended posture second is the central figure and the third is the required vision so let's look at the recommended posture that we get from this story i love this story so the recommended posture um, is to be alert to god's voice peter has a genius idea In the story is a brilliant idea you know he wants to make these these little shelters for the figures that are on the mountain as a parent I know that children sometimes come up with um, ideas in the midst of a crisis or a you know a grown-up adult level situation kids will chime in with these really cute solutions to things sometimes When, when I was a kid I was 11 years old when my house had a fire in it and um, so we had to you know like our house had to get repaired for six months and we had to stay elsewhere on the afternoon of this fire I was over at my friend's house around the block and my friend's name was Brent Phillipson. and Brent Phillipson said this is this is priceless thing that Brent Phillipson said that day he said it'll be okay because you can stay at the Rippin Inn now, most of you don't know what I'm talking about, but in the small town Ripon where I grew up, that the Ripon Inn is a drinking establishment. <laughs> I, it was just this precious quote, right? There's there's no rooms in the Ripon Inn, um, but Brent Phillips, and you can stay in the Ripon Inn. Um, that's kind of so kids say the darndest things, right? And Peter is in the Bible. Peter is the guy who says the darndest things, and so Peter has this genius moment, and we read about it here. He says. He pipes in, you know, you know God, is, God is orchestrating this revelation moment. And Peter thinks he, he has an idea for how it should be managed. And he says, um, uh, where'd he go? Look, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And we can't really blame Peter, can we? Um, don't tell me you haven't had moments in your life where you haven't wanted to manage the presence of God. If you've been looking for God to be real or to be a certain way in your life, you've certainly you've wanted to filter God's activity towards your plans or your desires. You've wanted to, God to manifest Himself and His grace in your life in some particular way. This, this is kind of what we do. We can't really blame Peter. In fact, people I've talked to people who have given up on God, the whole God thing, because God didn't line up with the plans for how they thought God should be revealing Himself in the world. Have you ever Have you ever heard of centering prayer? So it's, a, it's a prayer practice, centering prayer. I, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm new to it, but it is, um, it is basically a prayer practice that embodies a lot of what I think this passage is getting at and what Peter is having a problem with. It's an ancient way of praying. Basically, you're, while you're doing this 20 or 30 minutes of silence in a quiet place, you're trying to quiet your mind and allow... For, the God, for God's presence, um, kind of to let God's presence in. You're consenting to God's divine presence in your life. Very difficult. Um, extremely difficult because you're just fighting with your mental energy the whole time and the plans and the ideas, and, and you're kind of taking each time you kind of find yourself that you set that gently aside and consent to God's presence in your life again. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's terribly frustrating for me. I am, I am a total rookie at this practice. Um, and it's because I'm like Peter. I have, I have chatter, and I have plans, and I have you know, the way I want to take the data that's all around me and the way I think it all needs to go. I've got brilliant ideas all the time, and they're constantly drowning out God's presence, the voice of God in my life, um, so God's voice and the cloud come in amidst Peter's. In the middle of Peter talking, they don't even let him finish. And the cloud and the voice come in, and the message is clear: Shut up <laughs> and listen. And that's that's the alertness to God's voice. That's the posture. That's recommended from the mountain and recommended for the journey forward in the mountain. In fact, Jesus reaffirms it and he says, Don't talk about this. <laughs> you know, shut up. <laughs> Even as we go out now, this is not about your ideas, this is not about you talking, this is not about where you take this experience. So that's the posture. Now, quickly here, also, the what is the central figure and what is the required vision of this mountaintop experience? First, the central figure in verse two. There, there he was transfigured before him, for them, his face shone like the sun, and his clo- clothes became as white as the light. That's the central figure. And quickly, what um, there's a couple surprises in this story. Uh, Peter and James and John, they were good first century Jewish people. They knew about all the stories of their faith. They knew about the Moses stories and the Elijah stories, and they knew that when Moses... Uh, was leading the Israelites, and he went up on a mountain. You know, so they have some of these things come into mind as they're experiencing this, and they 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 know that Moses came down from the mountain. He was glowing. This is what the stories. This is the stories they grew up learning. Moses came down from the mountain, had had met God, and was glowing. It was a secondary glow. It was it was you know because Moses had been allowed into the bright, glorious sunshine of God. And, um, and so he even wore a veil to, uh, because he was so secondarily glowing coming down the mountain. So they knew about this uh, story, Peter, James, and John. But what Peter and James and John would have been puzzled by and surprised by was that Jesus is glowing and shining from within before anyone else arrives, before the cloud comes, before Elijah and Moses are there. That's how the story is told. Jesus, it, Jesus himself is shining, Jesus' face is just shining. It's just glowing, as bright as the sun. So that's one surprise. Another surprise is that when that cloud comes and the voice is there, again, the, you know, the memories of these old Moses stories are bouncing around. Wow, this is familiar. But what's different is that Moses and Elijah and none of the other, all the other prophets of these, those old stories that Peter, James, and John knew, um, none of them were ever called by the voice from heaven or by God's voice, they were never called my son. This is my beloved son. So this is new. This is different. This figure, this central figure of the Transfiguration Mountain story, the mountaintop experience, is a different figure to wrestle with. The Bible over and over is, gives us this impression. It's it's. it's it's a, something we, we need to hear now and back then, it's universal, is that you, I know, you, you, know you, want, you and I want a guru and we want a teacher, we want advice, we want a consultant, and the Bible just keeps saying, those are all great. You want a teacher, you want a good teacher, a wise and old teacher. That's fabulous, but it's not enough. And then eventually, if you're willing to be honest, the Transfiguration Mountain tells us the uncomfortable truth that you need more than a teaching, you need saving. Um, and as we enter into the season of Lent on Wednesday, that's much much of the, the posture, the shift, and the focus that at the end of the season of Lent is the celebration of the Savior and the Savior's accomplishments on your behalf. And that's at the core of, the, in a way, the controversial core of the Christian faith. Is it just about every other path you could choose will give you, give, you, give you a path and a way of saying, here's how you climb up the mountain to God. We love to have a game plan for climbing up the mountain. The Christianity is the only faith that will tell you, here is how you can't climb the mountain, and so I came down for you. And as this story ends, the, the transfiguration story, Jesus is not remaining in the lofty mountain. He has work to do. And it's for you and me. He comes down the mountain into rejection and pain and suffering so that you don't have to on your behalf, so that you can be welcomed up into the glory of the mountaintop. No other faith gives you this confidence of what has now transpired between you and God that, that gives you a confidence in God's presence. So that's the central figure. It's surprising. And third, the required vision. Notice it; it's easy to miss, but notice the very end of this story. Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Jesus has his eyes set as this experience, this mountaintop experience happens as they come down into real life. He has his eyes set on the resurrection. And even though Peter and James and John really did not even have a framework or a matrix within which to understand the resurrection. We we know this. We know that they didn't really get what he was talking about. He nonetheless wants to begin to prepare them for what they'll eventually understand. And they're going to need resurrection vision after the events of Jesus' life have panned out. I don't know what what kind of vision you're pursuing. A lot of times we're just pursuing. We want to get up... As it were, we want to get up on the mountain top so we can see the landscape. We can see clearly. We're, we're we're always feeling like there's too many trees and it's blurry and we it's foggy and there's clouds and we can't see enough. And Jesus seems to be saying, um, "Come down from the mountain." And as you come down into the real world, you're going to need resurrection lenses. Um, he seems to be saying that to Peter and James and John, and eventually that's what we need to hear as well. And I don't know if you noticed, but we, we live in a sad world. We um, live in a troubled world. There are, this is a world of tears, a world of injustice, a world of rape, a world of corruption, a world of shootings, a world of racism, a world of diseases, very unfair diseases, a world of abuse. This is our world. And the Christian is invited just the way Jesus is already guiding the, our vision through this story to the resurrection, to the resurrection that will be the focal point of the whole story of Jesus' life and of the church. Resurrection, renewal, new life. And the Christian wakes up every morning into this sad and troubled world remembering to put on those resurrection goggles, so to speak. He is risen. And we weep with resurrection confidence. We read the newspapers with resurrection confidence. We go to counseling with resurrection confidence. We take in foster children with resurrection confidence. We go out and we teach in inner city schools with resurrection confidence. We go out and we nurse and care for people's diseases and wounds with resurrection confidence. We have difficult conversations with family with resurrection confidence. We cry about broken relationships with resurrection confidence. Let us pray. Our God of grace, our world is so broken and we are so wayward often with our vision and with our desires for what's next and what we get out of the world around us. As we have a chance to enter into a season of introspection, whether we have great faith in you or whether we're considering it for the first time, may you walk with us graciously in this season and surprise us with how much we can trust you, how much we need you, how good it is to hear your voice. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.